Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hi, friends, and thank you so much for being here for another episode of Regarding Consciousness. I am Jennifer K. Hill, CEO of OptiMatch, OM.app, and also host of today's show. And it is such a pleasure to get to be here with you and introduce you to a friend who I had the pleasure of connecting with several months ago and was really inspired to hear and learn about her journey in consciousness and what she is doing in the mental health and wellness space. So today we have with us Emily Eldridge. And Emily is an emotional health innovator, I love that term, whose work has transformed the lives of artists, executives, activists, philanthropists, children, inmates, and many others. Her signature technique, the drawing out process, can permanently heal lifelong blocks, triggers, wounds, or other subconscious saboteurs in less than three hours. Her exclusive Change Light system is a complete system of self-development that heals inner struggles and reveals inner strengths, as well as accelerates one's power to fully live their truth and fulfill their life's mission, as well as change the world. Emily, thanks for being here with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. And yes, it was such an awesome conversation we had months ago. Yeah, you got to love how these little serendipities, life comes and goes. And I think it was our mutual friend who also has a great podcast, Stephanie, who introduced us. And so for people who are tuning in and they don't know anything about you, maybe take us through your journey of how it was that you came to develop these incredible techniques. And I'm sure inquiring minds want to know a bit about these techniques. Absolutely. I was one of those kids who was very highly emotional and highly sensitive when I was little. I think that my parents weren't really sure what to do with me because I had a lot of meltdowns and temper tantrums. And I know a lot of kids do. But the point is, I was, you know, obviously we all have temper tantrums sometimes. But yeah, I was just one of those really emotionally sensitive kids. And I think it was a real struggle for the people around me to figure out how to help me or how to work with me or deal with some of my high emotions and low emotions and things. And so anyway, over the years, though, ultimately, I ended up getting the message. And it wasn't intentional by the people around me. They're very loving and they love me and they're great. And they were just doing the best that they could. But the message that I got was, you're too sensitive. Uh, You need to back up. You need to be stronger. Stop being so emotional. Stop being so dramatic. In fact, in my high school, I went to a girls' school. And it wasn't one of those typical things where they had the most likely to succeed. But they had this page in the in our yearbook that was like most likely to. And sometimes it was jokey, but sometimes, I don't know, it hit a little, it hurt a little. And I was actually putting most histrionic, meaning, yeah, like most like overly dramatic or melodramatic. Now I was in theater and all of that. But when I read that, really stung, it really hurt because I didn't realize that I was, that basically it it hit that part where of having been shamed for being so emotionally sensitive and having a lot of highs and lows and being very just out there and shining a bright light. And I'd been shamed a lot for that. Long story shorter, basically what ended up developing inside of me over the years were a lot of blocks, a lot of defense mechanisms, a lot of wounds. And this happens to all of us based on our traumas, our even what seem like minor experiences to us as adults can be deeply hurtful and traumatizing to us as children. It could have really been hurtful. 
And so I had a lot of different parts of me, not that I was aware of this, but I had a lot of different parts of me that formed to try to protect me from that pain again. And so I'll never forget when I was in my 20s and there was this man that I was just absolutely spitten over the moon in love with. And he just wasn't available at the time. And it's not because he wasn't with anybody. He was just in a situation where he just wasn't available. Couldn't, and, it, and I ended up like cutting off. I'll never forget. It just went and just everything went numb from the neck. And I became all in my head. Anyway, long story shorter, again, <laughs> went through a lot of different experiences that ultimately caused me to collapse. A few years later, back in 2009, right as everything looked like it was really starting to come together in my life and created this website called Portal to Awakening about love, light, and joy. And I was with this other guy. And he was like the one. And we were with this couple. And we were creating this thing. And everything collapsed. And I ended up collapsing on the inside. And I fell into a dark night of the soul. And all of those years, decades of all those inner parts and all the struggles and the pain, basically, I was in such a state of intense self-wounding, excuse me, self-loathing, that I was in a deeply depressed and had no sense of future, no sense of light, no sense of connection with spirit, like nothing so bad and those of us who've been through the dark night of the soul can understand what that's and it was just pure darkness but what it actually ended up doing was it forced me to face all of that stuff inside that it essentially accumulated that i thought i'd been dealing with and tried to deal with right it's not really working on myself and i'm why don't i feel better and it's oh so that's what actually led to the developing the drawing out process so that was from about 2009 to 2010 and it all started with me coming face to face with an inner bully, that the one that was ripping me to shreds and telling me that I was worthless and hopeless and helpless and I should just kill myself. And I almost did. But I came face to face with that part of me and realized that it's a story that I tell, but basically realized that it wasn't just by talking or writing about those feelings, but actually drawing. And I ended up starting to see what this bully looked like. And I started drawing him and or it, I should say. I call him now, but back then when I looked at my journals, it was more of an it. And uh, once I drew that bully, after I drew a couple of drawings, it just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And that intense self-loathing and wounding and hurt just dissolved. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. So the point is that led to developing the drawing app process. And then I ended up working with people and the full process, like you said, it actually can permanently heal like an inner critic, wounded child, trauma, all kinds of blocks, things that get in the way of us fully feeling empowered and at least fully, I can permanently fully heal those within two or three hours for like one at a time or sometimes two at a time. And then that, that led to developing the change light system, the drawing out process and my clients and all really actually it led to my discovering elements of the change light system, which are include the three types of inner powers, or sorry, the three types of inner struggles, which I actually call X powers because they work against our power, that are just distortions though of our three types of inner strengths. Hmm. And that ultimately, which I call M powers because they empower us to shine our light and live our truths. And so it's all about living our truths. And then there's another element that we have inside is called your inner guiding star. And so mm-hmm. that's what I clients do is we heal all those wounds and struggles to reveal all those powers and strengths and really that, that, that beacon, that shining star, that guiding light that leads us to fully live our truth and light up and change the world whatever way we're called to. I love that. So let's rewind on this for a moment because I love to imagine what our listeners, our viewers are thinking of as they're listening to you. 
I know for me, I personally struggled with it. My own inner critic, she's named Juicy. She is a she. (laughs) And Juicy has been with me since five years old. And if people must be punished, and I am the key one who gets punished. Everybody else gets punished too. If I don't get punished, then it's going to wreak havoc and she's there to protect me. So I've often had to do cancel, cancel, not had to. had the opportunity to do things like parts reconciliation between Juicy and other parts of myself. I want to go back into the strengths versus the powers and talk a little bit about that. How would we harness those or how do you even begin to identify those to look at what are some limiting beliefs, limiting consciousness that we might have and how do we dance with those rather than be at the effect of them? Great questions. So first of all, from where I sit and what my work has uncovered is that you use the perfect word. One of them is protect. That basically these parts of us form and the parts of us that form inside their parts, they form in response to situations mm. that make us feel unsafe or them feel unsafe. So that's the first key word, unsafe. Mm. So basically what I'm doing with my work is I'm bringing those parts back to a state of safety. So without fear, a state of peace. But basically they form though, either because they're trying to protect themselves. So those would be what I call wounded, which is like the inner child. They don't really know protect themselves. So they'll do it in different ways by crawling in a dark hole or or trying to demand that someone else protect them. And then the other two types are the ones that are trying to protect us. And those I call controllers and defenders. And so when you talk about Juicy, that is just not having spoken to Juicy. And I just love that she's got a name. And I love that you know her so well, because that's really important. When you talk about Juicy, I'm going to guess, not speaking to her, not having spoken to her and really knowing her, but from what you described, she's probably what I call an inner controller. Because yeah. inner controllers are often inner controllers. And the reason why I call them controllers is because they're either trying to control us or a part of us. So it sounds to me like a lot of what she's doing is trying to control you. And there are different ways that controllers try to control. So either they're trying to suppress us, suppress our power. And usually that's because maybe we've been criticized. So for me, I had all kinds of inner controllers for decades that were suppressing my feelings or telling me to stop feeling this way and shaming me. And so because they've seen me get hurt for being emotional and they don't want me to get hurt like that again. And so they were like, okay, we're going to try to stop it. But then there are other types of controllers that will push us to succeed, for example. So let's say you have parents who were like all about, you have to get straight A's. And so those children will often form an inner controller that's pushing them to do well because they're afraid of what would happen if they don't get those grades, how they might be criticized or shamed or even those more subtle sort of microaggressions that parents can do. It makes kids feel bad because they're not meeting certain expectations. So those are just either pushing or pulling, pushing down or pushing forward. Controllers can do different things. But the point is that juicy and other controllers, defenders, women, they are not innately bad. Their essence is never bad. In fact, all parts of us have good intentions for us. Like I said, they're either trying to protect us or another part of us. So you might have a defender that's trying to protect a wounded. So that defender is almost like an inner body bar. And I run into a Interesting, I've run into a lot of defenders and wounded in my work with inmates. A lot of people assume that it's just, they're just naturally rageful. And it's, no, a lot of times the one who committed, let's say if it was a violent crime, was an inner defender that's trying to protect or perceived a threat and was therefore trying to protect the person by doing some kind of defensive measure or attacking or something. Anyway, that's just a quick overview. 
But the point is that all these parts of us, they, ha- they all have good intentions for us. The issue is that they've been distorted by fear or pain, by that sense of uncertainty. And there are a lot of methods where it's all about journaling with the inner critic or journaling with your inner child and all of that. And that's wonderful. And like, I totally always, I just love that people are becoming more aware of the fact that they have parts. Because for me, that was one of the big revelations back in 2009 was like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't me hating myself. This is a bully making me hate myself. So that's an important distinction. But really what it comes down to is in in, in the drawing out process, this is ultimately what I'm doing is, first of all, start with curiosity. Mm. Got really curious about that part. It exists for a reason. It's trying to protect you or itself, whatever way it knows or whatever ways it knows. So it's about being curious and trying to understand, being empathetic, understanding, oh, that's why it's behaving that way, because it, because it has seen me hurt. That hurt it to see me hurt. It's painful for those parts, too. They're like that. I didn't like it. I didn't like it when Emily was attacked for whatever. I didn't like it when Emily was shamed. So I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen again. Okay, so there's empathy there. Like, that hurt me, too. And then also that understanding that comes from, like, for example, with my work and what I teach, it's like when you have that understanding of, like, oh, it's not trying to hurt me. It's actually trying to help me. That's what I'm doing when, I, when I'm working with something. I know that it's trying to tip the person. So it's a matter of listening to it with curiosity and empathy and also really teaching it that it's okay. It doesn't have to do that job anymore. It can let it go. And it's a process to get to that point. The full blind out process is seven steps. And so it takes some time to, like I said, two, three hours, sometimes longer. So it takes some time to help that part when you understand that it's okay. It doesn't have to do that anymore. It can let it go. And what happens is that's when it's like magic. Like it's the, it's like just the coolest thing in all these parts. We just magically transform into like their original essence or even a more powerful version of their original essence. So like a, a goddess figure or like a star or a joyful little child on the playground. And actually, just so you know, your listeners know, I do have a podcast, Dark Light Truths where you can hear people actually go through that process. Mm-hmm. Put it down to about an hour or hour and a half. And you can hear that. You can actually hear that part transform and see the dawn. Yeah. And I'll think answered your question. <laughs> I definitely did. I think I have great compassion. I was recently having lunch with a friend and she was going through a really great hardship in a relationship. Of course, you, as you do with a friend over lunch, you're like, that jerk, I'll go beat him with a wiffle bat. Whatever you need, I got your back. And that's, of course, what you say. You say that to friends. Your friends want to know that you have their back. Of course, you do. Though at the end of the day, where we really got to is I said, listen, I love you with all my heart. And only as much as we get frustrated by anybody, our friends, our colleagues, our lovers, our children, whomever, at the end of the day, the only way to guarantee that you won't be upset again is to do your work. That's it. Yeah. Otherwise, every person who ever comes into your life from old friends, colleagues, bosses, whatever have you, are a reflection of the pieces of yourself that have you have not yet healed. And I think it's such a good reminder for all of us that it's easy to blame and be like, oh, Emily went and got therapy or Jen went and got therapy. Then that would solve my problems because it's so easy for us to point the finger when we're dating somebody, working for somebody. And yet I've seen it on my own that as I do the work on myself, as I do the inner child work, as I love and cherish myself, everybody around me becomes these beautiful, magical unicorns and mermaids who I can't wait to interact 
interact with. And it's so true because as we shift, so too does our perspective. And if we go around looking for the bad, looking for people to wound us, to hurt us, to verbally abuse or emotionally abuse us, as neuroscience tells us, those are the bits of information that our brain at a conscious level is going to be attracted to looking for, as opposed to as we do the inner transformation, transform our perspective, then we begin to look for the good in the others in the same way we've extended that compassion and grace to ourselves. Then all of a sudden, no matter where you go, who you're sitting next to, you just wind up sitting with the most magical people because you're reflecting that to them back to you. But beautiful. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. A number of things come to mind. One is I often say no one can punch your buttons unless you have the buttons to punch. So if I'm triggered, if I've had a button that's been punched, I go, okay, wait a minute, what's the button? And it's not to say that person's behavior is therefore okay and I should put up with it. But it's for me to know, okay, if I want to respond in the highest way possible, or, it's, or even at the very least, I just don't want to keep feeling this way and keep struggling with this reaction to this person, then I need to figure out what my buttons are. What are those parts of me that are getting triggered mm-hmm. and listed? And there may be a, a hell of a lot of wisdom that they have for me. That's the thing. There's so much wisdom in our darkness, as I call it, that's just a lot of times just been distorted by that fear and pain. And it might have a reaction that's not altogether helpful, but there's nevertheless wisdom. And so that's what I do. Yeah. If somebody's triggering me. Yeah. On the one hand, I want to be like, and I do. Believe me. I always say if people read my journal, they'd be like, oh my God, this woman is like nuts. Because I am like in terms of the stuff that comes out of me, but I put it in the journal. Okay. I don't like scream at people. Right. It's like safe there. As I think Byron Katie said, all war belongs on paper. Believe me, there's a lot of war going on in my journals. But the point is like, I'll go, okay, what got triggered in me? And it could be that what got triggered, the button that was punched, is something that's like from my childhood, let's say, when I was treated that way, or it's part of me that's afraid I'm going to get treated that way. So it's just trying to protect me. But it could be perceiving danger or threat when there really isn't, right? But that's why it's a trigger. It's, it's trying to protect me. So that's how I'll tend to approach it. It's like, okay, I need to heal this part of me so that I don't keep having that reaction. But at the same time, I also do what I call it listening for the wisdom. So I can hear what it's saying and how it's reacting. And there may be some fantastic wisdom that like I'm not even aware of something. Maybe, maybe for example, maybe I'm not setting a boundary. Maybe I'm not holding, standing in my power. And this part of me is actually trying to get me to do that. So that's also where it can work both ways. Like that, it triggers, frankly, sucks sometimes. They're not fun, but there's so much like richness in them when we actually are curious and empathetic towards ourselves in these parts of this and we're understanding, right? We can really learn so much. There was something else I was going to add, but anyway, I just, I, yeah, I forgot what I was also going to say, but that's basically, it's important to, oh, the other part of it, the third part, just like you said, where it's like people, let me just put it this way. I look at what can I control, right? And can I control the way that person behaves? So that's the other part of it. I can't control how they behave. I can't control what's going on in their inner world. I can't control what about me triggers that, right? Because sometimes I'm just showing up as me. And I don't think I'm hurting anybody and they're getting triggered. And frankly, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this, that like those of us who shine a bright light can sometimes just naturally without even trying to trigger other people who maybe are in their own darkness and for all kinds of reasons. But the point is I might be just showing up, shining my light 
and then they get triggered. And the point is, I can't control whether or not I trigger someone. I can control how I show up. I can control how I behave. And so that's another point to add to the whole, like, I've got to do my inner work. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to change. It doesn't necessarily, but it could mean that I change in my reaction, it could, or my response, my behavior, my choices, whether or not I choose to stay around that person, because sometimes that's a choice too. And so maybe I need to remove myself from this situation because it's not helpful for me. Uh, it's funny you say that I love something I learned yesterday. So I have a practice around that, Emily, where every night before I go to bed, I do two things. One is I do spiritual accounting, I call it, where I look at how could I have lived today better? I look at was I rude to people? Was I, you know, not present with somebody and small little things that nobody else might ever know, but I know. So I account for that. And of course, I write down things I'm proud of myself for that somebody else might not ever acknowledge me and a few things I'm grateful for. Well, in addition to that, my husband and I, every night we say to each other, did I cause you pain today? Talk oh, about it. And I don't only look at, did I cause my husband pain? But I look at my day in retrospective every night around the same time. And I say, did I cause Emily pain? Maybe I interrupted her. Or did I cause somebody else pain? Maybe I wasn't being thoughtful. And what I love that one of our advisors for our company suggested the other day that it would have never occurred to me, Len was sharing. He said, Jen, do you do a retrospective of every meeting? And I was like, whoa. And he's, listen, it's not bad. You might not ever talk to anybody else about it. But especially right now, we're out fundraising. We're going around the world to meet people for the company. And he said, you could always just look at every meeting and go, huh, how could I have done that meeting differently? That coffee, that whatever. And I thought, what a cool idea. So kudos to Len, who suggested that yesterday. That's beautiful. That's amazing. And that's so precious, too, that you do that with your husband. That's so incredibly important because that is your primary relationship. I'm assuming it is. My husband certainly is my primary relationship. And it's really precious. And it's nice to have a partner, it sounds like, that you do, too, where you can actually do that accountability with him and really work to improve your relationship. My husband and I do a Sunday meeting. And he started it. He, he started it. He started it. No, I mean, he started it like it was his idea. Well, because, like, when William... I re and, and actually after the second or third one, I realized like he was really taking notes about the thing. We actually start with our list of grievances. Here's what really annoyed me. Just let it come out. Like he'll write what annoyed him about me and vice versa. Anyway, the point is I noticed that after the second or third time, I was like, this is interesting because I'm saying a lot of things that I've been saying for months that have, that have frustrated me. And I've been asking you to do differently or speak differently or whatever to me about something. And I'm like, but it's actually changing now. But it tells me that me telling you in the moment while we're in the middle of something, it doesn't quite register, does it? But it's registering in these meetings. And he's, yeah, he's, it just wouldn't register before. So my point is, it's like when you, it was like, it's like taking that time and that energy and that space to say, we're going to focus on each other and we're going to be accountable and try to improve. I think that's beautiful. And we found that really helpful too. That's lovely. We don't do it every night though. That's good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> People say that all the time. My husband advises a lot of startups. We're both in our own things. So the other day I went to go say goodbye. Like we're both very thoughtful. Sometimes I'm in 12 hours of back-to-back -back meetings. Sometimes he is. So we'll grab each other food or just try to be thoughtful when we can without interrupting each other's meetings. And I went to wave and say goodbye to him as I was heading out to a meeting yesterday. And he was on a call with a company. He advises a woman who was going through a divorce. He said, goodbye, my love. I love you. Beautiful. Have a wonderful day. And I'm like, okay. I don't think that's just how we speak to each other. And I'm like, I love you too, handsome. So I go. 
And then he tells me yesterday evening, he said, honey, I just want you to know we made a difference in that woman who I was advising his life. And I was like, oh. And she said, I can see why I had to get a divorce now, because in the 10 years I was with my husband, not once did he ever speak to me the way you just spoke to your wife. Uh, but it's like, we don't realize how good a like my girlfriend I was with today. It's like, I hear so many horse stories of my guy friends and girlfriends who are in these relationships for two weeks, three months, whatever it is. And people are unkind and they're selfish and they're verbally abusive, emotionally abusive. And yet all we can do, we can either keep going out there and dating is do the work for ourselves. That's it. Do the drawing out work, do the lighting up work. And the only reason I can see that I'm able to have the grace of the beautiful relationship I have is because I've spent 20 years every day. I do my own stuff. And as I told my girlfriend over lunch today, I said, listen, the sexiest thing in the world that will make you the most desirable business partner, romantic partner, friend is to love yourself. When you love and cherish yourself, you are requesting nothing from anybody else. And you just get to be there and show up and shine your light. And any relationship, me getting to do this call with you right now, Emily, or any of the time I have with my husband, that's a cherry on top. And I love and cherish myself enough that if I were to spend a day, a week, a month, a year by myself, I would also be equally satisfied because I love myself. Yeah, yeah. I love how, um, I guess, Eckhart Tolle is the one who says something about enjoying yourself, enjoy in yourself. I was like, oh, so, so sometimes I'll say that to you. I hope you're enjoying yourself. I hope you're enjoying yourself because that's where the joy is really. Obviously there's joy with other people, but if we can't be with ourselves, then that, that makes us beholden to like feeling like we need other people to give us a sense of peace. I'm totally the same way. I, and I, I, to me, if anything, like my own work, it's always been, it started with me just feeling myself. I mean, that's, primary thing. And then even when it comes to my relationship with my husband, it's when we first got together. Now we were, we became friends back in the late nineties and it's a whole story. It's a whole kind of crazy story. I went to his first wedding and everyone's always, oh my God. but we were just friends. There was nothing there. And then the timing was back in 2009, actually, when everything in my life fell apart, everything in his life fell apart as well. And so then we reconnected, became best friends. But the point is, we both came out of very badly codependent relationships. And so we made a choice to, and my friend gave this to me, I thought it was brilliant. She said, we, she said, rather than being codependent, be in an H relationship where you're running parallel, you are your own sovereign evil, but you're choosing to be connected. And so that's always been like a principle in our marriage as well, in our relationship. And it's actually, it's funny, I was just telling someone the other day that my husband is, he works for the federal government. He does like data. He doesn't do anything related to mental health, but like the podcasts he listens to are all about relationships and mental health and all that. Meanwhile, like I'm in mental health and I listen to like politics. That's a total junkie. But it's really fun because like he, we both really work on ourselves and that is why the relationship works. And it can be really hard, especially when the other person just isn't seeing what's causing a problem where it's just, I just wish you could see this. And also the other challenge I found too, is that being a healer myself, sometimes I'll want to default to want to fix it for him or help him fix it. And sometimes he said to do the same to me. Could you just, this is something I'm noticing. Can you please journal or whatever you got to do, just work on that to, so that you can show up better in a relationship. And we do that for each other. 
So absolutely, it's not you have to do this and you have to change that. But we, yes, certain behaviors need to change, but sometimes there are things fueling those behaviors that are coming from somewhere deeper. And that's where I can't do that for him and he can't do that for me. We have to take full responsibility for ourselves. And that is a hard lesson too, by the way, especially you were talking about this a minute ago too, about I can't control anyone else. Believe me, I've tried. Oh, honey, I have tried. It doesn't <laughs> not work. I've tried. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It just makes you so upset and so angry. I can't get people to like me. I've tried. There is just so many things we can't control. And so again, like you say, it comes back to you. Like you're the only one you're really living this life with. So like you got to like yourself and heal those parts that might be preventing you from fully, fully embracing yourself. So beautiful, Emily. I love that we've just given people a little peek into what it looks like to heal ourselves. We're human beings. This journey, no matter how much work you've done, I've done, any of us has done out there, the work never stops. As one of my teachers said many years ago, you are either expanding or you're contracting for the rest of your life. Moment by moment, there are going to be moments where you might expand and then moments where you go through hardship. And in fact, I'll leave everybody with this too. Just the other day, I had a snafu. We had, there was a tiny little issue in the database with our software. And I came upon it when I was looking at it. And I was like, oh, it's like, I am not a coder. I am a CEO. I can run a company. I've sold a company, but I am not a coder. So I can't go in and fix the damn code. And so I had this moment. Thank God my CTO, our CTO, Julian, is a genius who helped me sell the last company. He is a software developer. We do have an amazing development team. Though it was that moment of surrender where I was talking to him and I said, Jules, it's not about that you're not going to get upset. You're going to have moments where things might not go exactly the way you want. Somebody might say something that triggers you. Though the question is, how resilient can you be as a human being? And how quickly after there's some mess up, somebody doesn't do something right, something doesn't go the way you expect or says the wrong thing, how quickly can you, how quickly can you bounce back and regain your composure and your strength and your joy in any moment in life. And on that note, Emily, I would love to hear from you. Are there any closing thoughts before we ask you to share where people can connect with you? Any closing thoughts or pieces of wisdom that you'd love to leave our listeners with today? There is no peace in denying any part or who you are. And I want to put that in there because we spend so much of our time and energy and lives in struggle with ourselves, in defiance of ourselves, at war with ourselves. And when we actually turn towards and seek to understand and have empathy and embrace ourselves and these parts of ourselves and help them heal, that's where the peace is, not by denying, but by embracing. So there is no peace in denying any part of who you are except all parts of you, and you will know peace. That's one Another one is you have all of the power to be everything you are here to be. You were divinely designed for your unique purpose. And if you think you don't have that power, it's usually because it's just parts of your stuff in struggle. You're scared or whatever the deal is, but all of that power. And we were designed with all the power we need to live our truth. Fully and fully. So it's just a matter of reclaiming that power within us and shining our brightest light. What a great reminder. That's our invitation for everyone as you go into the week. There's an analogy years ago that I remember the Kabbalists taught, and they said that we are all 
these bright luminescent lights. Imagine that you have a light bulb that is a thousand, ten thousand watts of light. Yet something happens when we're a little boy, a little girl, a little they, a little them. And the analogy the Kabbalists use is that it's like a piece of black cellophane is put over and tempers the light just a little bit. And then something else happens and somebody bullies you or says something that you take personally. And then a little bit more light gets covered until we're these 20, 30, 40, 70 year old human beings who a lot of our light is no longer shining. And our only goal as human beings in this lifetime is to peel back those layers of darkness and allow the light that was originally there from the very beginning, from the moment we were born, to be revealed once again. Emily, thank you so much for being here. Where can people connect with you if they want to connect with you? That's it. What was that the universe? That's exactly it. You can find me at changelight.world. So that's my website. And actually, there's what you can also find the podcast or just look up Dark Light Truths or go to darklighttruth.com. My email is emily at changelight.world. And um, we can reach out to me there and we can connect. I'm here. Oh, and we also have it. Oh, I should get sleep. Free course and free online community too for anybody who wants to learn the first few steps of the drawing out process, which by the way is like, those are the first few steps I was doing that just healed me immensely before I even developed the rest of the process. So that's at community.changelife.world. Totally free course, free community. Come on in. We'd love to have you. Mm, thank you so much, Emily. Thank you to each of you. Thank you, Emily. Thank you to our mutual friend, Stephanie, who connected us in the last several months and intending wherever your light is hiding, may it be revealed in your life and may you look for the light in others' lives as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.